Welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I am your host, Scott Dr. GX Wolfi. If you enjoy this programming, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube, which is where Truth and Rhythm lives, and be an advocate by spreading the word among fellow funk, jazz, and R&B music lovers. Join Truth and Rhythm's membership program through Patreon. You can also submit a direct donation to the cause anytime at funkandstuff.net. At that site, you can also purchase the book, Everything's on the One, The First Guide of Funk. Shop for official Truth and Rhythm and Funk and Stuff merchandise and use the Amazon links for all of your online purchases, which allocates a percentage to this show. For those of you who go the extra step in supporting the show, you have my heartfelt gratitude for allowing us to continue to shine the light on those special artists whose quest is to find truth in rhythm. I'm delighted to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership rapper, dancer, choreographer, musician, and composer, Tony Mosley. What's Better up, what's known, up? Hey, man. Better known, of course, as Tony M. From 1989 to 1993, he served as a member of Prince's New Power Generation Band. That included his hugely successful Diamonds and Pearls album, which is being released as a super deluxe seven CD package and also the Love Symbol LP, as well as the MPG's debut project and Carmen Electra's self-titled album. It was also prominently featured in Prince's new Diamonds and Pearls and Act One concert tours. And in more recent years, he has appeared with the reunited MPG that honors Prince's legacy. Tony, how you feeling? I'm feeling good, man. Uh, I'm doing well. Again, I think I... Uh, I mentioned earlier, it's good to be seen, good to be heard. Um, so we're, you know, we're back at it, trying to keep the legacy alive, man. And with the re-release of Diamonds and Pearls, we're we're thrilled, man. We're thrilled to be out here. Uh, you know, we're hitting more of a two-step now, and not that full choreography that we used to hit back in the day. But you know, we're still at it. <laughs> so glad that you are uh, so important. And um, where are you today, Tony? I'm living in Arizona. I moved to Phoenix about three years ago. Wow, so so. Out, out here in the blazing heat right now. But I got to tell you, I'll I'll take three months of heat and nine months of beautiful weather so I can still get my golfing in and then uh, versus, uh, you know, two months of summer. And then it's uh, the switch of flip on you in Minnesota. And before you know it, it's you don't even get fall. You get go straight to winter. Yeah. All the way it's been going, it's getting pretty hot in Minneapolis uh, sometimes these days. Yeah, they get they got they got a little summer to, this time around. I mean, every now and then we'll typically get one or two hundred degree days. I think they've they've had about four or five of them. I, you know, a lot of my family, all my my friends are still there, so I talk to them. Even my day job is still there, so I talk to everybody frequently. Nice. Well, thank you for doing this. Much appreciated. Good to see you. Good to um, see you also. Thank you. So, 
jump way back, way back in the time machine and tell us, you know, what drew you in the first place to music and dancing in particular? Okay. I, I before I get started, gotta comment on that Lakers hat, man. <laughs> that just I, I I can't do it, man. I just so my wife is a Lakers, but more 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 or less a LeBron fan. So and and I and I'm a LeBron hater. So we go at it. It's always like I'm MJ, she's LeBron. So we're always this all the time. So I was just messing with you a little bit on the Lakers cap. Uh, I can dig, but but uh, you know, consider I am from the Showtime era. So yeah, and I used to uh, uh, come out there. That matter of fact, um, even that was probably the tail end. But uh, when they were still at the forum and uh, hanging with uh, Arsenio and Magic and all them, go out there and do some pickup games with them. I remember telling Arsenio, "Hey, he's like, yeah, I'm like, man, I like the ball. Where y'all balling at?" He said, oh, we're, you know, we can go out here. I can find some hoop spots for you. I said, oh, he said, where are you playing at now? I'm like, oh, I'm, I just go down to Venice Beach and ball. He's like, man, you can't go down to Venice Beach and play no basketball. <laughs> you get killed down there. So I ended up, uh, you know, hanging out with the fellas a little bit in, uh, at the forum, which is a beautiful thing. So I know that era well. Yeah. Yeah. Venice is, uh, yeah, it's a kind of dicey pickup games down there. Yeah. It is. It is. It's street ball, man. It's it, it's what it is. But what kind of drove me? And I'm sorry, I digress. I, I'll, I'll get back to the question at hand. What what drove me to music? And um, it's probably my my first concert. Uh, I've always uh, danced. I've always been the kid at the family reunions. Uh, so I had a great uh, James Brown imitation. Uh, so I would always hit that at the at the family reunions or or dance contests and things of that nature. So dancing was always in my blood. I think probably around age 12, 6th or 7th grade, 12, 13, I started to pick up the guitar and learned how to play by, you know, just by ear, um, like a lot of musicians in Minneapolis did. Um, so that, that kind of my indoctrination, I joined a stage band at, my, uh, at, at North High School uh, with some friends of mine. And so we would just play. And uh, that was, that was kind of how I got indoctrinated. Now, no way did I think that I would end up in the entertainment industry. I mean, growing up, uh, you know, uh, black kid in Minneapolis or New York in Minneapolis, man, it was about I'm going to be either an NBA player, all right, or I'm going to I'm gonna play football or something like that. Music was not even a part of it. It was just something that I did. It was in me. So you mentioned, you know, James Brown, the dancing part of it, but uh, musically, who were some of your early heroes? Uh, well, James Brown. Um uh, for one, um, I loved uh, uh, Parliament Funkadelic, uh, you know, Gap Band, uh, Confunction. I mean, I, they, it, it ran the gamut, man. I, you know, from Ohio players to just so anything's old school R&B funk, I, I was on top of it. You know what I'm saying? You know, uh, Phyllis Hyman, uh, I'm a jazz head also. So my mother and them, they loved the blues and I was the exact opposite. So anything spoken word like Gil Scott Heron or, you know, Stanley Clark. Uh, spiral gyro, you know, anything like that, I that's what I spun all the time. And uh and then and then my merge over to, to funk and R and B. So do you remember the first concert that you saw that really left an impression on me? It was James Brown. My mother yeah. took me to a James Brown concert when I was probably six, six or seven years old, uh, at the old Minneapolis Armory, downtown downtown Minneapolis. And um during that time, James Brown used to bring kids up on stage. And I happened to be one of them lucky kids who got up and was able to hit my little James Brown step. But uh, that right there, the crowd went nuts. And 
right there, I was hooked. I was, I was, I was done. I was like, man, this performing thing, I, 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 I kind of get down like this. But again, in the back of my mind, I'm out there balling and playing football with the fellas, and you know, being a musician was not the top of my top of my order at all. I kind of fell into it. What was your, you know, life situation and awareness of Prince and all that like when you, I guess, went out when they called for extras for for Purple Rain? Yeah. Um, well, my awareness, first of all, comes from um, growing up in North Minneapolis with Terry, Jimmy, Prince, Morris, right, and the Battle of the Bands that used to happen all the time in North Minneapolis um, at the Phyllis Wheatley Park. Uh, gentleman named, by the name of Spike Moss used to set up uh, 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 summertime jams and uh, at, at the Way and at Phyllis Wheatley Park. And he'd bring in some national acts along with our local bands who would play, and uh, which would be, you know, Grand Central, you know, Family, uh, uh, Flight Time uh, at the time. Uh, I mean, true story, Terry Lewis used to be my uh, assistant Pop Warner football coach. So we grew up in the projects together. So Jerome... His sisters Benita and, and all of them. We, I mean, we we all grew up together, and you know the uh, population of, of black people in uh, Minneapolis, especially in the uh, early seventies uh, to mid late to late seventies, was. I mean, listen, it's a small community, and um, you know, people. A lot of people ask, you know, how did the Minneapolis sound develop and this that and the other. Listen, we we had no avenues to go play at clubs or bars. It was all rock and roll or country music, right? So they weren't trying to hire. Uh, uh, an African-American band, a band of brothers or whatever at, at, at the Nakarima or any of these venues. So we, we would shed it, man. I mean, all winter, you know, you got nine months of winter. I think you and I were just joking about it. But nine months of winter, and you, you know, you, you were in the garage and, and you were just in the houses or mom's basements or whatever. And, and that's how you were honing your craft. And uh, then summertime broke and it was time to show what you had learned over the summer. I mean, over the winter months. So when did you actually first see Prince perform? Um, I would have to say I was probably 15, 14 or 15. It was at the way uh, they were doing shows outside there. Uh, and then, you know, every summer we would see all, all of the bands play, you know, so we, we, we couldn't wait to get to the field and get a good spot to watch, you know, uh, flight time uh, go against the family and the family go against, uh, Grand Central and, you know, vice versa. I mean, it was it was a competition, man. And that was one thing that Prince held held form to to, you know, was that when you come on stage, listen, we all boys and we all good people and we family. But when I come for the stage, I'm coming to get that ass. So y'all better be ready because we're coming. And, uh, and and that's just kind of the competition that was instilled uh, uh, with all the musicians uh, coming up at that particular time. Did he seem to stand out from the pack or were just all those guys that we were just talking about just, you know, standing out? No, it was, it, it, he had something different. Uh, there was something different about him, uh, being able to play all of the instruments. And, uh, you know, if you were a bass player, I think I heard, uh, you know, uh, Terry once say, is that it was kind of disheartening, is that he would pick up your instrument and play it better than you did. Right. And so um, he just had he had something about him, man. And um, he, he had a focus and a drive um, that I think that was different from everyone else's. I mean, I think everyone, you know, aspired uh, uh, to be national and, and to get the record deal. But it was Prince who really went out on the limb, man. And it just again, it was focused. He got his recordings done. He went in and did it all on himself. He wasn't, re you know, uh, reliant on anyone else to help him. 
he just needed the engineer and uh, all the instruments. He did it on his own. And those are the first few. I mean, those albums, you know, are gold right now. And were you already friends with Damon and Kirk uh, heading into Purple Rain or that come after? Yeah, What's the... yeah, Damon and I went to the same high school together. So we went to North High and uh, uh, Kirk went to uh, Central High in South Minneapolis. So, you know, you got your North Side, South Side, right, and then St. Paul. Um, and so um, we, I met Kirk later and we met Damon and I, like I said, we've known each other since high school, played basketball on the same teams and together. And um, I remember we were, we started going down the first Avenue. I was still in the Marine Corps. I was, you know, going out on the weekends and, and, and we started to go down and they were having these dance contests or cabaret nights down at first Avenue. And I looked at Damon, I said, Damon, man, we get, man, let's, I remember you from, from the house parties and, and the, and the parties at North Commons Park uh, back in the day, you can, I mean, I know you can dance. We can put together a dance routine. Let's just go down here and, and give it a shot. He's like, nah, man, we can't. That's it, man. Let's give it a shot. Well, we went, ended up going down there. I think we won for about five or six weeks straight, uh, the dance contest on the First Avenue. And the team that knocked us off after our six-week run was Kirk and another crew called B-Train. It was Patrick Adams, Kirk Johnson. And Scott March. So those three, they came in and knocked us off. So that was our introduction uh, to Kirk and, and the fellas. And then um, during that particular time, they were uh, in the uh, process of looking for extras and talent for uh, for Purple Rain. So some of the uh, scouts were down there and they asked us, hey, do we want to be, you know, in uh, some of the concert footage for Purple Rain? We we're like, oh, yeah, Absolutely. So, you know, we went in with the mindset that we're going to uh, get an opportunity to maybe be in the, in the movie a little bit, you know, maybe get a quick cameo shot. And that's about it. And I remember us down there, uh, some of the production uh, team came over to us and said, yeah, they're running a little heavy on um, on talent and people in scenes. Do we mind being Wranglers? And, and this is Damon Kirk and myself. And we're like, Wranglers? What's a Wrangler? Well, they would hold the talent um, in another area. And you would go wrangle them to bring them into the scene. So all of a sudden, now we're not even in the movie. We're we're just gathering people to be in the movie or into some of the uh, footage. Um, and, and during one of those times, I think it was the day before a uh, big major uh, concert footage was going to be uh, filmed with uh, with Prince and and, and the time. Um, we were up in the bathroom at First Avenue. We had a little boombox up there, and we were just kind of up there dancing in between, you know, light and setting changes and. So we were just up there doing our thing, and Prince walked in the bathroom, right? Didn't say a word, just watched us for like 15 minutes, man. And we just kept dancing, doing our routines or whatever. At the end of the night, Alan Leeds, who was his manager at the time, came up to us and said, hey, were you guys the ones up dancing in the bathroom? And we were like, uh-oh. We thought we were going to get fired because we were making too much noise uh, up in the bathroom dancing. And uh, uh, Alan says, no, Prince really likes what you guys are doing uh can you guys think you could put together some dance routines and be here by you know tomorrow morning uh to film filming started at 5 30 5 30 a.m and we probably wrapped up that day at 11. so we just we without of course hesitation absolutely we can put some dance routines together and uh we went to my mother's apartment in north minneapolis she allowed us i don't know how or why but she allowed us to just move furniture out of the way and uh, we uh, crafted, you know, the, the routines for the bird, Jungle Love, uh, Computer Blue. I mean, uh, shoot, Baby, I'm a Star. We did a ton of dance routines and came back with all seven, I think it was six to seven songs worth of material uh, that we came back the next day and uh, were ready to film. And uh, 
that was our that's that was our intro to Prince. Uh, what he does is that he'll throw a, a mammoth uh, amount of work at you just to see what you do, and uh, and uh, we turned it around thankfully, and uh, that was our again our introduction. Wow. So, how many days did you end up being on that set? Oh, it went on. It, it probably went on for at least a good week, week and a half of filming. So we filmed different. At, at different clubs, like uh, we shot the uh, uh, Apollonia Six uh, footage, uh, sex shooter and stuff like that, in another uh, spot, and then uh, the bulk of the uh, of the filming of the concert footage was, of course, done at First Avenue. And during the making of that, did you have any other encounters with Prince, or did that come later? That came later. So um, we we filming finished, and uh, they were getting ready to release. Um, Purple Rain, we knew it was getting ready to come out, and uh, Prince gives us a call, and he says, um, well, not Prince himself, per se, but uh, Teresa Stoll uh, gave us a call and said, Prince would like you guys to come on out to the rehearsal space. So we didn't know what it was for. We we, we went out, and uh, Prince says, I'd like to you know, have you guys put together a dance routine and, abs- and actually lip-, lip sync to a song that I'm uh, going to debut. Uh, at the uh, at the after party after the movie uh, premieres, and that song was Erotic City. So we pulled together a dance routine, and uh, had the mic stands and everything, and we lip synced that uh, at, at the uh, at the premiere of Purple Rain. And uh, I, I I I'll never forget. I mean, this is my I I used to be stationed out in California when I was in the Marine Corps. So I you know I'm I, I had been to Hollywood. I had been uh, you know. Venice. I, I had done all the Cali stuff before, but never Hollywood, right? This was, I mean, this was purple carpet. This is red carpet stuff. This is heavy duty. And I remember us finishing that song and we came off the stage and we're out in the audience and we had people like uh, Eddie Murphy and George Duke and, and Arsenio Hall and all these stars coming up to us going, man, that song was the band. When, when are you guys dropping that song and this, that, and the other? And I'm like, like, wait a minute, man. I'm I'm still in the Marine Corps. I can't believe this is going down. They were coming to our hotel to party at our hotels, right? And I'm like, so it was just mind blowing the transition that we that we went through. And um, I remember Prince also saying um, he called us down before uh, the premiere at at, at Grumman Chinese Theater, and uh, I think he was trying to just give us a heads up because as I think as I stated earlier, we had we had choreographed seven songs full songs and they filmed every single one of them and uh he was just uh, uh preparing us for the you guys got edited down to those couple clips you saw of us doing the bird and and uh but you know he said it started to turn into a breakdance movie I, I understood it we got it just to have any spot or in that part of history was was mind-blowing for us and uh for him to call us out for that as our as our first of uh, many videos that we shot with him was uh was uh, awesome <laughs> no doubt did you get a, a credit in the film credits at all, or? Uh, no. I mean, uh, we got SAG and After and stuff like that, but that's about it. Uh, yeah, we didn't get anything. I mean, get we had no name. We were just five fellas, man. That he pulled out of a bathroom and said, "Hey, can you can you hit some dance routines?" So we had to figure out the rest later. Right. Wow. Um, I bet you never imagined that film was going to blow up like it did, though. Um. You know, um, I, I felt like he was turning a corner. I didn't think it was going to be what it turned out to be. Absolutely correct. I mean, Prince was already, uh, he was, you know, he was he was big. But that just put him through the stratosphere at that point. And it was like, it was over at that point. It was it was done. 
Yeah, it was bittersweet for me because it made it a lot harder to get seats up close for shows. Absolutely. It was over. Like I said, it was a wrap. Yeah. If you didn't have a hookup, you could hang it up. Yeah. So um so where did you know life and music take you uh between Purple Rain and you know coming into the MPG situation? Mm-hmm. Um interesting, yeah, because we we thought we were going to go on tour for Purple Rain. We said, there's no way he's not going to go out on tour and not bring us out on the road. You know, we had been through rehearsals. We had, we kept doing all of that work and, um, you know, everything happens in its, in, in, in its time. And when you're going through it, you don't see it that way. Uh, you know, you feel slighted, you feel, you know, why didn't we go? What did we do wrong? And this, that, and the other. Um, so we started, um, our own band, uh, with Kirk Damon, myself, his sister, Kathleen, Kim, Rhonda, and we started doing a college circuit. So that's kind of where I picked the guitar back up, right? Uh, I was honing my 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 lyrical skills, and um, and we started touring, just uh, on college, college universities, and we were playing. And um, we're just like, well, if he ain't gonna bring us out, we're gonna do our own thing, and then you know, we'll we'll figure it out down the road. Which was, in hindsight, so beneficial, because when I did get the opportunity and we did get the opportunity to join as the NPG. I had a different, I had, I could bring more to the table than dance and choreography, right? I could play some guitar. I could, I could write lyrics, which he found out later uh, during a, a accidental sound check that he came in to while we were uh, uh, on the new tour and he was still flying back and forth trying to edit graffiti bridge. And um, he came in and we were doing Humpty dance uh, just messing around. And, uh, I was on the on the microphone uh, spitting the lyrics, and you just heard this voice. We didn't even know he was in the stadium yet. He said, "Okay, can we get to to real sound check now?" You know, and we're like, "Oh shoot, we got busted." But after that, after that sound check was done, uh, he called me back to the dressing room. He said, "I didn't realize that you, you know, you did all of that. You know, could you do that for me if we went to um, Germany?" Uh, I'll go do, during this wardrobe change. I'll let you go ahead and do Humpty Dance. Could you do it? Now, absolutely. Still shaking in my boots, Scott. Right? Because I'm like, okay, wait a minute. He's leaving the stage, and now I've got to try to hold the stage. Are you kidding me? But you know, it's it's that old North Side cockiness or confidence, however you want to phrase it. That swag that we have. That I w- I was not going to let that opportunity pass. And you know, thankfully, I was able to to knock it out, and it was a part of the set. And as soon as we wrapped up the new tour, uh, we, we, we started going into full-blown uh, mode, uh, writing songs and creating, uh, which would soon be some of the songs that you heard on Diamonds and Pearls. Hmm. What uh, Did you get much uh, time with Morris Day uh, during Purple Rain or after? Nah, not at all. No. Not at all. On the new tour, you know, in, in preparation for you, Tony, I reached into my archives and I just ripped out a few uh <laughs> cds of shows from uh that i have from uh, that period and uh-huh. i have um the tokyo uh new tour show i don't know if you were at that one yes but, i was uh, there's there it is that one. yeah yes i remember i remember that show so well because I, I, I just i was reluctant i'm like okay i had been out of the united states we just did a, a you know a full-blown european tour uh, so I wasn't, you know, here I am. I, mean, I never thought saw myself leaving North Minneapolis, and here I am traveling the world. And I, I remember I saw uh, Japan on the uh, on the itinerary, and I was like, man, I don't know, I don't go to Japan, man. Absolutely love Japan. 
And uh, I remember Prince telling us it's, it's a little different. You know, it's not as rowdy as Europe. It's not as, you know, or, or, or people in the States. And we sat out all the, the tambourines, like, uh, on, on, the, on the chairs. Uh, I think, I can't remember how many rows back, but people in the, I think, front row through 10 or whatever had tambourines sat out on the chairs. And it was so funny. It, you do that in Europe or the States, when that crowd leaves, guess what? There ain't a tambourine in sight. But in Japan, they politely set the tambourines back on the chairs. So when everybody left, the tambourines were still sitting there. We couldn't believe it. It's like they all left them. So polite. Wow. Very polite. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, they, they, they stood up. They knew that, they knew every word, which is just bizarre for me, right? Because, uh, you know, majority of them do not speak English at all, but they can sing every word to, to the songs. And, uh, yeah, just um, just massive crowds. I think we did what Tokyo Dome. I think is what it was, and we did some shows in uh, is it Yokohama? Yeah, and I think that's prior to us opening up the Glam Slam in Yokohama. And how did it evolve with uh, you and Prince doing some dance routines together? Um, it was it was interesting because um, you know Prince, uh, we were more uh, I think uh, physical, uh, you know, uh, from a from a, a choreography standpoint. You know, from our breakdancing days, right? So it wasn't uh, just all upright, you know, stancing, doing some two steps. And Prince was like, I'm jumping in, man. I want to learn this. I want to learn that step. I want to learn this. So we had to figure out ways how to incorporate him into some of the uh, some of the dance routines. So thinking some things we used to do this helicopter thing. And then where it used to be Kirk and Damon hanging over me would be Damon hanging over me, Kirk, and uh, where Kirk would jump up, Prince would jump up and hang over, and we do the spin and, and the dives and the splits. And so we were able to to choreograph, or, or maybe uh, I wouldn't even say we had, we didn't have to adjust anything for Prince. He picked it up. So he was studying us for years. He kind of knew where we were, and he's just like, "Man, I'm in on all of this." Hmm. Did you sense that Prince was uh, embracing and being more open to hip hop at that point? Um, I, yeah, I think so. Yes. So, you know, we had our conversations about it and, and when we were recording, I, I just, I didn't know it was for any upcoming albums or I was just like, man, Prince has me in the studio. He asked me, did I have some lyrics on, you know, and I'm recording with Prince. I'm, I'm mind blown. Right. And, um, before we knew it, he said, you know what, I'm going to, uh, to name a band. Uh, I'd like you guys to be a part of it, the new power generation. And, you know, uh, before I know it, tracks started coming through. We were constantly creating, we were constantly recording, and uh, he would always challenge me. He, you know, he'd come up, you know, here's a song. He'd look at me, he said, Tony, you got something for this? Absolutely. He, whether I did or not, give me 30 minutes, I'll be right back. And uh, I'd come back in and cut it. And uh, before I knew it, I, I mean, shoot, I think I had four songs co-written on Diamonds and Pearls album uh, that he schooled me on. He, uh, was generous to, to not only allow me to be on the record, but to co-write and, and, and publish and own my publishing on, on every single song that I wrote with him. Mm. Were, were you around during Graffiti Bridge at all? Absolutely. We were in Graffiti Bridge. So we were the guys yeah. dancing with Te Tevin Campbell, Tick, Tick, Bang, and uh, uh, Round and Round and uh, all of that stuff. So, yeah, we were part of uh, like Thieves in the Temple. So, again, even after Purple Rain, before the new tour kicked in, for some reason, he would always call us out of the blue and say, "Hey, can you guys come do this video? Or can you can you guys are interested in coming doing this party?" So we were always around, even though he, you know, he had the uh, sign of the times. He had Catnam and you know Jerome Wally Brooks. I mean, those you know everything happened in its 
in his time. So even if we'd have joined then, would I have been able to contribute like I was able to during Diamonds and Pearls, uh, Symbol Album, you know, our Gold Nigga LP, uh, you know, uh, Carmen Electra, Martika's Kitchen. I mean, that time away or that time to cultivate what we eventually became uh, was so invaluable. And uh, believe me, at the time, we didn't know. It. We just thought we were getting snuffed. Who who were some rappers that you emulated? Uh, so emulate was one thing. Um, it, it, it was tough because I'm, I'm, I'm from the Midwest, right? So I gravitated more toward East Coast rap, right? So I, I gravitated more toward rappers who had a message, uh, were talking socially, uh, you know, uh, it, it, I, not the party party uh, stuff. I wasn't, I wasn't into that at all. So I'd have to, you know, KRS-One, Chuck D, huge mentor. I finally met him after, oh my God, 30, 40 years. And it was just like, it was mind blowing. Um, uh, poor Righteous Teachers, you know, uh, Tribe Called Quest, you know, groups like that, is, you know, that I really gravitated toward uh, their messages. Um, uh, Black Star, Guru, you know, I mean, so what I, what I struggled with, it wasn't the message. I was all behind the message, understood the message, under, understood how to write about the message. It was what was what what's my voice, right? So if if if, if listen to some of the earlier stuff like something is how funky comes or things have got you know things have got to change you know all of that stuff, I was, I think I was more in the vein of a KRS and Chuck D. You know I was just yeah 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 I was in your face, right? And it wasn't until uh, we dropped diamonds and pearls and get off. And we did Gangster Glam that I started to find out what my niche was going to be. It was it was the low tones. It was the bare tones. It was staying smooth and mellow, being true to who we were from Minneapolis. We were a bunch of pimps and hustlers. That's what we did. Again, don't let the smooth taste fool you. We didn't run with gangs, but we would get in that ass if we had to. Right. So it was the streets. It's what it was. But we all grew up smooth, man. And that's and that's what we did. So all this. You know, arguing with the combat boots and the timbos, that's that's not that wasn't our style. We were Stacey Adams and in, in suits and you know, zooted up. That's what we did. We weren't wearing, you know, chucks and, and things like that, uh in uh, uh like uh the West Coast rappers. So it's it's about me trying to find who I was going to be and how I was gonna portray uh, uh hip hop from Minneapolis. And aren't you rapping on that uh reprise of MPG New Power Generation anyway? Uh, you, uh, you mean the Di Diamonds and Pearls uh, re-release, or what do you mean? No, no, no. On the, in the movie, like at the end of the movie, isn't there like a version with a rap? Um, no. The, maybe... uh, you mean you mean Graffiti Bridge? Yeah. No, that's T.C. Ellis. Oh, that was so T.C. Ellis. I, yeah, okay. I, I correct a lot of people when they say Tony, you were the first rapper, and I say nope. I got to give credence to my man T.C. Ellis, who was the first uh, person that Prince signed to uh, a rap artist that Prince had signed to Paisley Park Records. Yep. Yep. I remember that album now. Yep. So in terms of the timeline, you know, uh, did the Diamonds and Pearls material come first or the MPG record uh, first or? Uh, uh, Diamonds and Pearls. Again, I, we were just recording. We didn't know what was what. Prince, he would take songs and, and, and finish them and and uh, jam sessions were happening all the time. And we, I mean, our days were full, man. We would get in for rehearsal around noon, 11 o'clock or noon. We rehearsed for five, six hours. Then he'd want to go into the studio for another couple hours. And if he was ready, he had a film crew on hand. We'd shoot a video. And then after a video, he'd say, I want to throw a party. So 
uh, we end up out, you know, Paisley Park till three, four in the morning, you know, like round the clock. Just you run home, get a change of clothes, come back, zooted up, and ready for the party that night or whatever it was going to be. So it was it was nonstop work. So people ask about how fun it was. I, I don't know. I wouldn't say fun. It was work, man. It was hard work. We were well, constantly you, working. You had the Marines to get you ready, right? Yeah, yeah. I was I was I was ready for it. I was I was disciplined enough to hang with it. That's for sure. <laughs> I, I I believe that that definitely helped you. For sure. So the Diamonds and Pearls, um, you know, it was just interesting at the time being a fan because, you know, just a few years prior, even though it, it didn't get released, but the Black Album, he was kind of dissing rappers a little bit, yes. dead yeah. on it. And then yep. just a few years later, he seemed to be fully embracing it. Yeah, yeah, so we had that conversation. <laughs> so when uh, when I realized um, what was happening with Diamonds and Pearls, because I remember he uh, he was he had had the album completed, and uh, we were um, in L.A. for a party. Uh, or I can't remember what we were out there for. Maybe it was the Warner Brothers release. We did a, a rooftop performance, and uh, he said, "Get Off" is going to be uh, released as the first single off of Diamonds and Pearls. And then he showed me the list of songs and I, lo and behold, yep, like I said, four or five songs, you know, or it had my name associated to it. And I said, P, I just, you know, I, I just question how this transition is going to happen. And my concern is that, of course, I brought up the Black Album, did on it. Uh, and, uh, you know, hip hop is going to look at this like, dude, you just us like not a couple of years ago. And then your hardcore fans will be like, we didn't want nothing to do with hip hop. So how am I going to bridge that that divide, right? He said, this is my vision. So again, we would have these conversations constantly, even even through the ridicule, uh, the, the critics and the uh, the ridicule. I, you know, we just we hung in there. But there were moments. It was it was tough, man. It was it, it was tough. I'm sure. Um... Definitely. And it was such a big change. I mean, because you had Rosie in there, too. And it was, I mean, pretty radical change, even though the music, a lot of it was very accessible and pop friendly. Mm -hmm. um, so you had that on the one hand, but on the other hand, the sound was so different from what had preceded it for Prince. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely was. And so, uh, he, you know, again, he has his focus and his vision and he he's going down that road. Come hell or high water. He's not he's not. The outside noise does not influence him at all. This is where I'm going to not come on the journey or no, or not stay where you're at, but this is where I'm going. So, um, you know, a lot of people came, some didn't, and some came later. Right. Uh, you know, it, it's funny because I remember there were very few artists, uh, hip hop artists at the time who I felt were, you know, just, Hey, what's up tone? How you doing? But there were a couple who, who showed me love from day one. You know, uh, uh, Q-Tip from Tribe Called Quest, you know, Hammer, uh, you know, these people, you know, they, they were into the music and understood all of that. And and what was interesting is that I I, I remember telling them, I said, I, I don't think that I know of one MC out here right now. If Prince called them and said, can you come and rap on a track, would not take that opportunity. So I'd be foolish not to be able to take the opportunity or at least explore the opportunity and see where we're going with this and, and jump in. So, uh, you know, again, it, I, I, I didn't second guess it at all. Uh, I just questioned how it was going to, how it was going to come out. Um, he just said, my life was going to change. 
in a major way, and it did. <laughs> and uh, we kept it moving. <laughs> did uh, did you do a lot of takes of those raps in the studio? So that was one thing that Prince always uh, laughed with me about. I, I'm not the studio rat. I, I I don't like to sit there and watch people tweak and turn knobs and you know. So he always called me one take. I come in and hit my take, and I'm I'm out. So um, what was strange was how he produced some of my raps. So a lot of them, you know, you write your 16 bars, three, you know, and I had it written in a certain sequence. Right. So he was producing and he would take this and maybe put my third verse at the top and take my first verse and put it in the middle and vice versa. Right. So that was strange for me. I'm like, well, that's not how I wrote it. So, but, you know, this is me getting up to speed on how things are produced. So the production phase is where uh, is, is what I was starting to learn. Um, so uh, that, that that was the interesting and learning phase for me. Mm hmm. What were the rehearsals like for that mammoth tour that uh, came? Uh, it was uh, it was not so. So of, of course you come in, and you know you have the tracks, and you're doing a lot of. We would go off and, and do a lot of the choreography on our own prior to actually coming in, and uh, trying to get choreography set up for the band, and then working Prince into some some of the choreography. Um, so we would probably spend about a week and a half, two weeks, just locking in choreography, making sure that we were straight. Then we would come in to the band, full band rehearsals, and then uh, start to uh, disseminate some of that choreography uh, throughout the band. And then it was, it was from that point on, it was just it's full on, run the set, run the set, run the set, run the set. When we felt comfortable, then they built the, the, the big uh, stage in the sound stage area. So we're getting ready to take this thing out on the road. So you would actually uh, have to get your cardio up and uh, understanding where your spots were going to be. Uh, for these shows on this massive stage. So we were doing this in a small rehearsal space with mirrors and stuff like that with the band. So we're running around going, okay, this is kind of cool, but that's not the, the scale that we're going to be actually doing these shows on. So I remember our first show, we were uh, I think we, we were in the Netherlands. I think we were in The Hague or Rotterdam. And I remember Prince uh, pulling us aside, saying, I need you guys to be uh, conscious of... Uh, of how you start the show because you guys are doing five to six songs straight choreography right and it's and it's high power choreography and you're going to get winded because your adrenaline's going to kick in and you're just going to be like 100 miles an hour instead of pacing yourself we're like oh man we got this man we i mean we're rehearsing every day we're playing basketball in between sets man we're ready we're ready sure enough that that, that curtain raised and you saw all that energy in that crowd in that stadium and it hits you and you just go oh my god i'm going in yeah by the time that third fourth song came in he looked at us he said you gassed ain't you and then we're like standing over in his pyramid like this and he's looking up at us he's got the mic down he kind of looks up and says, you guys are gassed ain't you I said i told you so we had to figure it out and suck it up and especially me because probably two songs down the road now i've got to try to rap rapid fire lyrics and that's one thing that Chuck D, he, he marveled at. He said, man, I, I just want to know how you did all that dance choreography and turned around and had to go get on a mic and, and, and actually rap. He said, you had to be doing some sort of circular breathing or something like that. I said, no, I was just picking my spots when to go hard and then trying to, to make sure I didn't lose breath on, on some of these reps. How did um, you, you and, and Damon and Kirk uh, get along and interact with the band, with the musicians? 
Oh, it was family, man. It was all family. I mean, again, you have to you have to keep in mind that we we were around since Purple Rain, so we knew the you know the Mats, uh, Bobby Z, Brown Mark, you know Dez. Maybe not Dez so much. Dez was you know year before Purple Rain and all that came out. Uh, but you know Sheila, uh, Miko, Cat. Uh, you know Wally, Jerome, and I grew up and went to high school together. So it was all family. Uh, so there was no. There's no transition period. We jumped in. It was just, you know, it's what we do. That's cool. I thought maybe they might say, you know, they're the hip hop rap guys. We're the players, you know? Yeah. Well, no, I, you know, I, I think it's funny because you almost feel like uh, there, there, there should be some, uh, some tension between bands because, you know, you know, you realize and, and when you come into this, you realize you got, you know, you got your 15 minutes. What are you going to do in that 15 minutes? Because he changes so abruptly. And before you know it, you know, you're, you're not there anymore. Right. And uh, but we never we never felt that at all. And and, and even t during today's shows, uh, you know, we, we do joke um, and, and, and talk about that. We're able to do all of it. Right. Because we rehearsed all of it from every uh, generation or every era of Prince. But not everybody can do the MPG era at all, right? So where we learned all of theirs, it, it, it would be difficult, I think, for for a lot of them to do what we do. So, um, but no, I, I don't feel like there was any animosity at all. I mean, uh, Wendy and Lisa treated us like family. Mark, I've known since uh, junior high, high school, right? Grew up watching these cats uh, play uh, in North Minneapolis. Um, uh Brooks, Wally, uh, Jerome. I mean, it was it was family, man. It was all family, and we kept it that way. I found it curious during that era, uh, late '80s through early '90s, how much Prince uh, Prince focused on playing abroad, and not very much domestically. Did he ever mention anything about that? Like, you know, that he was really into those audiences at that time, or something like that. Yeah, I was curious because, you know, again, uh, this is our first time in Europe. And it's like, man, when are we going to play at home? Right? When are we going to play in the States? You know, and uh, just the, I think the energy at the time that he was getting from European crowds were, was just off the chains. Again, he's selling out stadiums, right? And then, you know, he, he come to the States and, you know, he, he, he's barely selling out one night in, a, in an arena, you know, but he's doing multiple nights in stadiums. So, you know, at, at some point, I think he just—I think he made a conscious effort that I'm going to starve him in the states for a minute until it's time, and then you know, then we'll then we'll hit him with that Act One and Act Two, uh, but otherwise we'll cultivate and we'll get the band groomed and we'll let them do their thing and, and just continue to grow as a unit over in Europe, and that's and that's what happened. By the time we hit the states, man, it was full blown. We coming, we taking no prisoners. Yeah. No doubt. I felt like, um, I guess it went back be before then, even I, probably like around the parade era, love sex era. He just fell in love with the European and overseas audiences. It seemed like. Yeah. Yeah. They um, were, uh, they were there 100% of the time. And, uh, I mean, again, uh, you know, I remember our first time going through there, we, uh, we were driving past, driving up to the venue. I mean, and there were people parked around, I mean, uh, like camped out in tents, around blocks for miles, you know, uh, so they can get, cause it was open air. Right. And, you know, you get in and if you made it to the front row, you were in the front row. Right. And, uh, so I, you know, I think all that energy and just that dedication 
I mean, these people would, I mean, they would save up all year long and travel with us from from city to city, uh, catching every show. Did not miss a show. What was your uh, favorite track on Diamonds and Pearls? <sighs> the regular version. <laughs> the regular, yeah, the regular version. Um, I, 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 you know, probably I'd have to say maybe Get Off, just because it was the first one that I was featured on. You know, uh, Diamonds and Pearls uh, was another big one, uh, but I, I'd probably say uh, probably Get Off holds near and dear to me just because it was the first one that Prince uh, uh, featured me on. So. It was all great, but I got to just mention, you know, I think whether justified or not, the one track that took a lot of flack, I guess, on that record is Jughead. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that track? Do you defend Jughead? Do I defend it? I defend that. You know, I defend and justify everything I write. I don't write for for people. And that's one thing Prince taught me from the get go. You write from the heart. You write for you. If people come along, they come along. If they don't, it is what it is. But don't ever second guess anything that you do. Uh, so who was I to second guess him putting it on the LP? I remember uh, some of uh, the stuff we had written. Kirk and I had kind of had an earlier version of that uh, a song before um, we joined the New Power Generation. So um, when we spun it up with the band and it just got bigger and fatter and just like, wow, okay, this is where this is going. So no, I don't feel the need to justify anything. Now, if you'd asked me that 30, 40 years ago, Absolutely. I was trying to defend everything I did at that point, right? Because that's what it was. And, yeah. You know, it, it was me. I felt like against the world, against Prince's world, against hip hop. It was, it was just me swinging. I mean, don't get me wrong. Prince had my back, but you know, I just, you know, nowadays I don't, it is what it is, man. I'm loving life. I got to show this because it's. Yes, sir. This is the first original one with the, uh, the track. Guess that, who's knocking? Took a Guess who's knocking? Yeah, it's on there. That's yeah. it. That's the yeah. one. You got you got the real deal, my man. That's right. Um so at the time you thought that some of those tracks could end up on a Prince project or you didn't know, or you knew they were all gonna be on an MPG project? No, we um we knew we were doing a lot of recording. We knew we were going into the phase that, that uh, he wanted the NPG to record its own album. So I think he was preparing uh New Power Generation. He was preparing us for the transition from being with Prince right to being our own entity um so what we didn't know uh was that a lot of the stuff that we were recording and was um an ode to him saying f you to warner brothers and some of the executives right so i was like man how are we going to get away with black motherfuckers in the house how are we going to get away with you know a lot of the stuff that i was talking about was just it was it was in your face unbeknownst to us that this was going to be the album so i remember when he came through he had the uh, we were doing photo shoots we were getting all of that done and he came through with the list of songs and i was like what uh wait a minute we never talked about concepts we never talked about you know, you know what's the npg going to represent uh so that was that was a, a a big part of our going dang uh we didn't really have a say in in, in much of what was happening there what I, I i do recall i was in a lot of recording sessions just him and i and what i found myself is that him and i were doing a lot of this the collaboration in the music and uh what i didn't want to happen was what kind of happened with the time 
where him and Morris basically recorded everything. And the band kind of came in later. So, we, you know, we made sure we switched some things up and, uh, and uh, made sure that everybody was included, even got writers and publishing splits and uh, got all that locked in. So it, that was a, it was an exciting time. It was a liberating time. Did you feel like you wished it maybe would have gotten pushed and promoted more? Or? Oh, absolutely. I, it never got a, it never got a proper release. I mean, um, so I'm hoping that's something that they do a reissue on. I think fans would love to hear that thing uh, out there for real where they could pick it up and not pay $750 for a, for a copy. Yeah. Maybe that, they we get no, that, that we get no part of. Maybe that could have been an eighth disc, you know, for the right. Absolutely. Set, you know, so we'll, we'll see what happens, man. We'll see what happens on the road. I know uh symbol album will be up next after probably after the 40th uh, anniversary of Purple Rain. And, you know, we'll uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But, you know, we've been uh, talking with the estate and uh, hopefully we stay involved in a lot of this. So. Now, uh, what's your opinion? Did you uh, see the track list for this upcoming set and all that kind of thing. And do you remember a lot of those tracks that haven't been released before? Uh, some of them I, I didn't, I don't even remember recording to be honest with you, Scott. Um, uh, so some of those things were pulled out and I was like, Oh, wait a minute. I do kind of remember that or either early versions of like Martika's kitchens on there. Right. But it's a version that I, uh, that Prince sang, not Martika. Cause I'm on the version with her rap doing a rap verse on Martika's kitchen. So yeah, to hear a lot of that stuff come out of the vault, man, I was like, wow, I can't, we were doing so much work, man. And to see some of it come to light is uh, it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, I think it's 33 unreleased uh, studio tracks on there. And that yeah. one live show, too. Yep, a Glam Slam show. Yeah, looking forward to that. It's about time they yep. put something else out again. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm glad, I'm glad they're doing it. I know it took time to just uh, to get everything else in order, the affairs. And uh, so I think you're going to start to see a lot, a lot of stuff drop here soon. Well, you know, Insatiable's on there, and that definitely sums up the appetite for Prince fans if they're going to put it out there. That's a fact. That's a yeah. fact. They'll be there. Yeah. Drop it, in there and they'll be there. So, Symbol. Um, yes. What are the primary ways, would you say, that the vibe and approach changed? Uh, I know Rosie was was gone, um, but how did things change, and how is it reflected on the, on the album? Um, I, I rem well, a lot of Arabic sounds, right? And the, the finger chimes and the Maite vibe and the belly dancing, all of that kind of started to incorporate uh, in, into the into the new the symbol album. And um, so you, you could definitely see the shift in the sounds, uh, in the message. Um, and he was really becoming, uh, I, I think, even more so in the face of the record executives, right? Like my name is Prince. He was dropping what he wanted wanted to drop and he was being a little bit more forceful about it so and don't get me wrong he was never soft by no means so I, I remember sitting in on plenty of conversations where he would go at with uh, uh go at it with mo austin and some of the warner brothers executives uh about what he wanted to do how he wanted to drop it and uh you know uh just his his veracity for constantly creating and he had moved on to other projects he i'm, I'm done with diamonds and pearls i'm done with the civil album I'm, I'm on to this next thing well wait a minute prince we still got three more singles uh, off of this LB, you know, so they're trying to milk it for the longevity. He was about the music and moving on. And that's reason 1208 why we love him. That's right. <laughs> that's a fact. That's a fact. Uh, you know, for me, being a hardcore funketeer, uh, as I am, 
uh, the symbol album and probably the gold experience are my two favorite nineties albums from him. Um, definitely was a little harder edge to diamonds and pearls, the symbol. Yes. Yes. Um, what was it like? Were you in the studio when he was doing his rap, you know, for my name is Prince or any of that. And, you know, did um, you did you help inspire him to rap? <laughs> well, I I hope I had uh, helped him brush up his uh his his spit and his lyrical skills. I mean, as far as, far as the lyricist, can't touch him, right? His his lyrical content is on, but as far as the rapping part, yeah, he would. Uh, I was never in the studio when he rapped. It, yeah, I would hear it later, and then he would kind of side eye me and look at me, and I'd be like, yeah, "That's your, you know, that's your thing, you know. It ain't me, but you know." Why don't you stick to the singing and, and, and all the multitude of stuff you're doing? Just leave the rapping to me. I would joke with him a lot on that. You think he actually took some time to try to, like... Absolutely. The competitiveness in him, please. He was trying to do it all and trying to show you he could do it all. So there was, a, there, there was no doubt in his mind that he was going to con conquer that, so... I think probably somewhere at some point he probably tried to play some horns, too. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt if he picked up a sax or a trumpet or something at some point and tried to hit a couple of notes for for real. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, in that uh, act, were you on uh, both legs of the the tour? Uh, yeah, we came in. Matter of fact, Act One, and we came in on certain spot dates on Act Two because we were starting to gear up a uh, big time a lot for the uh, for the MPG uh, album and tour. So we stayed back a lot and tried to get a lot of that uh, promotion done and uh, why they hit a few spot dates. And uh, then we would come on and join later, came, Damon Kirk and myself. You must have been pleased to finally do more U.S. dates. Yes, absolutely. It was it was it was uh, it was eye opening. Uh, we killed them uh, and uh, they loved every every part of it. the hard part was, of course, trying to get tickets for all family and members when, when each city that you visited so uh, i always tell people i hate doing shows in los angeles new york and at home because you're trying to find so many comps and people everybody wants to come to the show i was at the uh, universal amphitheater for that one okay there you yeah. go yes sir yeah uh -huh. now it was around that time when he was also opening the glam slam clubs did that come after you were there or during or during yeah during the time that's when glam slam uh minneapolis opened um and uh and then glam slam la and i think i and I, I think it was yokohama glam slam in japan also he had a club out there and then uh i was not around when he i think he had one in miami also that's right yeah eventually yep well the la one i was actually there for the ulysses show with carmen uh doing those songs that most of them ended up later on come but uh yeah <laughs> right right yeah she was uh he was uh he was big time behind getting her thing off and launched so it was a it's a privilege to to see her from the get-go and uh and and to, and to help cultivate her yeah. what's a couple of the most amazing things that you saw prince do performance wise Uh, dude, I cannot pick one. You got to be kidding me. That I said. I said a couple. <laughs> uh, I, jeez. I, um, um, our Arsenio. I'll, I'll say our Arsenio Hall show was one because it was the first time a musician had taken over a full uh, show, and uh, and uh, we killed that uh, MTV Music Awards with the 
with the butt out pants. So that was another big one. Uh, Rock and Rio was another big one because I had never played in front of a, a crowd that of over a hundred thousand people. That Arsenio show, I was outside. They closed the doors on me. I couldn't get in. Just outside yeah. the studio for that one. And they shut the door. Yeah. Well, yeah. it was hard to get in there, as you, I'm sure, remember and can imagine. Yeah. I, yeah. Absolutely. Everybody was camped outside uh, for that one. What are you uh, working on now? And what do you got coming? Um, actually, the, so the band, so we're uh, working. We got new music as far as the new power generation is concerned uh, that we have in a can. Um, so just again, trying to work out the logistics with the uh, with the estate uh, on how we do that, but uh, recording new music and uh, and then again hitting tours and keeping his legacy alive and keep you know keep the performing and keep the music out there. So what's great for us is that we go out and we get to see uh, people who watched us back in the uh, uh, late '80s and '90s have their kids kids at shows, and so they're introducing them to the music. So to see them out there rocking is like uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, we'll come down Charlotte way, man. Man, I would love to. Absolutely, man. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll have to get Jill on top of that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing this. It was a pleasure. And I wish you, you know, all the best, good health and good music. And thanks for keeping the legacy alive, man. Oh, no doubt, my man. And you'll, you'll give me a shot whenever you want, man. All right. All right. Cool, Tony. Take care. Have a, have a good one, Scott. Okay. Bye. 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 I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to Pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkandstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the first guide to funk book at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkandstuff.net, and linking through funkandstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven, results-oriented, professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the media services section at funkinstuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at funkinstuff.net. I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Wolfine saying, keep on keep vibing, on vibing to the rhythm of the one.